Judges chapter 7 today, we're continuing our march through this book. I pray that it has been a challenge to you. And one thing that I have noticed as I've been studying this book is how applicable it is today to all of the problems that we're facing in this country, all the challenges that we are facing as a church. And this has been a, a timely book. Uh, when I prayed about where God would lead me, uh, it's no doubt that the Holy Spirit was directing when he, he brought me here because I felt like every week that the messages had just been tailor fit for uh, what we are struggling with today. And, you know, God's Word is timeless as it is. Uh, you'll always find new truth, uh, a, a new nugget of treasure to discover. And the Holy Spirit is always speaking, always teaching. Judges chapter 7, title of our message today is Gideon versus Midian. Everybody loves a good underdog story. I guess unless your team is the one that gets upset, but there is something so satisfying about seeing the little guy knock off the heavily favored champ. We don't get to see it very often, but when we do, those sports moments are the ones that live forever in our mind. Now, you may not be a sports fan, but I am. So humor me just for the next few minutes as we talk a little bit about underdogs. I remember 1991, the World Series that year was a, a memorable one because it featured two huge underdog teams, the Atlanta Braves and the Minnesota Twins. And in that season, what was so interesting was that both of those teams went from last place to first place in their respective divisions. They shouldn't have even been there, according to the experts. But yet, they met in the World Series, a World Series that went for seven games and much to my young heartbreak, the Twins topped the Braves. As normally happens when the Braves do make it to the postseason, they will break your heart. <laughs> what about Super Bowl forty-two? You remember that? The New York Giants came into that Super Bowl a 12-point underdog against, sorry Jace, but the undefeated Patriots who had cruised to a 16-0 regular season. But the play of the game, it was 35, 2 minutes and 39 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Eli Manning escaped three Patriot defenders. He launched a 32-yard pass that was caught by receiver David Tyree. He caught it with one hand, and then I was watching. I couldn't believe it when they showed it again, but he trapped the ball against his helmet. One of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history. And the unbelievable play kept the drive alive. That culminated in a touchdown. The Giants went on to win 17-14. to And thank goodness, Tom Brady wound up with one less ring. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Sorry if you're a Tom Brady fan. He may be the GOAT, but I was glad to see him lose that night. Then perhaps the greatest upset of college basketball happened in 2018 in the NCAA men's tournament when tiny UMBC... That's Maryland of Baltimore County. A number 16 seed knocked off an overall number one. That was Virginia. And it wasn't just a squeaker. It wasn't just a buzzer beater shot. It was an absolute blowout. 74 to 54 It was the first time in tournament history that a 16 defeated a one. The only thing that could have made that better if it was Duke that would have lost <laughs> as a one seed to a 16. But I was pretty amazed that year to see that happen. We're talking about underdogs, and the Bible has practically invented the category of the underdog. We immediately think of David and his standoff with the giant 
Goliath. Maybe you might remember Elijah challenging the 450 prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel. Maybe you think of Joshua's troops assailing that mighty citadel of Jericho. As you think about underdogs, though, Gideon versus Gideon has to be one of the greatest underdog victories in the whole of the Old Testament. You'll remember that as we met Gideon early on in Judges chapter 6, this was not a man who was what you would call a four-star general. He was, as he told the angel of the Lord, the runt of the family from the least of the tribes of Israel, from the tribe of Manasseh. And when God called him to lead the people to victory over the opposing Midianites who had pushed down God's people for seven years, Gideon was down in a hole in the ground doing his farming work. He was so afraid of the oncoming Midianites. But God has been working on this man Gideon as we've studied it through chapter 6. God is turning this man from a chump into a champ. And in Judges 7, we have his great underdog victory where he leads an outnumbered army against an overwhelming enemy. Now in this exciting chapter of Judges 7 today, I want to show you three principles about how God wins. You know, God always wins. He's undefeated, undisputed, all-time victor. He even defeated the greatest enemy, which is death. And if you haven't heard, He's coming back to rule and reign and forever set up His kingdom here on the earth. But our God wins. And as you might imagine, God's way of achieving victory does not follow the standard script. He doesn't get His plan from a playbook. Uh, He's a unique God who always finds a way for his people. Gideon versus Midian. The first principle I want you to see today is, number one, God gave Gideon victory through his weakness. God gave Gideon victory through his weakness. Now, you'll remember at the end of the last chapter, Gideon tested God. He laid out that fleece and asked for a sign. And now the tables are turned. God tests Gideon's faith. By reminding his general that his army was too big. God wants Gideon to reduce his fighting force down to a skeleton crew. And God and his test comes in two phases. First off, there is a test of courage. A test of courage. Notice as we read verses 1 through 3. And then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. There isn't a military strategist in the world who would have signed off on God's battle plan. The Midianites, let me remind you, had an army of 135,000. Gideon's men numbered 32,000. And then when God gives the first test, the Bible says it knocked it down to 10. You'll notice here that the first way that God thinned the troops was by dismissing all the guys who were fearful. 
The men who were, let's just say it, cowardice, who were wimpy. Could you imagine? On the day before the D-Day invasion, June 5th, 1944, General Dwight Eisenhower standing before the men who were about to assail the beaches of Normandy and say, all right, fellas, all of you who are afraid of the Germans, you can sit this one out. Might as well go home. If, if that would have happened, my goodness. But when the chances were given to fight or to flee, the Bible says that about two-thirds of Gideon's men ran like a bunch of scalded dogs. You see, it was a test of courage. God was going to achieve victory through Gideon, but He wasn't going to do it through man-made strength. He was going to do it through weakness. That's how God wins. Warren Wiersbe gave this great insight in his commentary. He said this, quote, Fear has a way of spreading, and one trembling soldier can do more damage than a whole company of enemy soldiers. He said this, fear and faith cannot live together in the same heart. Either fear will conquer faith and we will quit, or faith will conquer fear and we will triumph. Friend, do you understand how timely this message is today? The choice that lays before the church and the everyday Christian today in this world is fear or faith? I know it seems like I've been beating this drum every single week. But repetition is the best way to learn. Uh, there is a test of courage in the Christian life. And I believe what 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and sound mind. You know, the most often repeated phrase in the Bible isn't pray more. It isn't ask for forgiveness. It isn't get saved. The most repeated often quoted phrase in the Bible, the command given to you and me 365 times is fear not. Fear not. One for every day of the year. You see, fear is nothing more than faith that is turned inside out. And if we're going to be victorious in the Lord, we can't be paralyzed by the size of the enemy against us. We have to be energized by the size of our God. And today, listen to me, God is asking, God is calling for Christian men and women to stand up and be courageous like maybe you've never had to in your life because you've lived, and I have lived in, one of the, in the greatest country that's ever been where there's been religious freedom and where Christianity has been accepted and things are changing now, friend, if you haven't already got the memo, things changed a lot last year and we can't be timid anymore. We can't tiptoe around the tulips anymore. The day has come, the test of courage, the line is drawn in the sand. Who's going to be a man or a woman of God and step forward and say, I'll be bold, I'll be courageous, I'll trust in my God. Amen. Who would have ever thought that in 2021 a courageous choice that a pastor might have to make is whether to keep his church open or not. But God is calling us to, to live the gospel in an increasingly hostile culture. And yes, even to push back against the government or any kind of force that would want to restrict your and my religious freedom, our God-given right to assemble and to declare the Word of God, to raise our hands in praise to this God. It's time for Christian people to let their voice be heard, let their steps be heard. It's time for Christian people to be bold and be courageous again. Hey, it's time for Christian people to let the world know 
Yes, we may be small. We may not have the big microphone of the media. We may not have as many resources as the world. But I still serve an undefeated God. I still serve a mighty God. I serve a resurrected Christ. And He's given me His promise that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And friend, this ain't the day to retreat. We won't give up. We won't shut up. We won't back up. We won't give up. This is the day to stand up and look up because we've got a mighty God. A test of courage God gave these men. John Wesley may have had Gideon's army in mind when he said these words. He said, quote, Give me 100 men who will fear nothing but God, be they plowmen or preachers, and I will shake the gates of hell. Hey, God's calling for men and women like that today. A test of courage. Then there's also a test of character. Go back with me to verse 3. Let's explore this a little deeper. The Bible says, Proclaiming the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Verse 4, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lap, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people were knelt down to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred who have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And all the others go, each man to his home. Verse 8 says, So the people took provisions in their hands and the trumpets, and they sent the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. I'm talking about a test of character as God is going to win through weakness. The second test is much stranger than the first. He tells Gideon, I want you to thin your ranks again. And I want you to do it on the basis of how these men go down to the stream and drink water. He said that the majority who bent over and put their face in the water like a dog and drank just lapping it up with their face down, those were the ones who were to be dismissed. But those who carefully came by the water and cupped their hands and brought the water up to their mouth, those were numbered in 300, and those were the ones whom Gideon was to set aside for the battle at hand. Now, what was that test of? I told you it was a test of character. And the soldiers who came down and brought the water to their mouth that was a show, a test of vigilance. That this man understood the time, he understood the danger, and that he was going to be disciplined during a time of stress, a time when the enemy was going to be looking out uh, to uh, snatch them, a time of discipline and vigilance. And so what we learn, what a strange test this is, that if you and I desire to be used by God, you never know when and how that test may arrive in your life. This was such a routine thing, such a normal thing of drinking water, something that every soldier, every man in the camp had to do. But God devised a way to separate the good from the best. 
And God's tests often come to us when we least expect it. When we're just going through our everyday routine, we're marching through life, and God sends the test our way. And in the moment, you may not realize it until you get on the other side of it, and then you realize what God has done in your life. I read a story this week about a young man who was being considered for a high position in a bank. He was one of several applicants, but the the president was especially impressed by this young man's credentials. So before hiring him, the president and some of his brain trust invited the man to lunch. They were going to go a little bit further in the interview process. As the group went through the cafeteria line, the young man, they noticed, took two pats of butter and slipped it beneath the outer rim of his plate. And the whole point of that was so that the cashier wouldn't see. Well, one of the men who was behind him in line noticed that. And if he later on said to the president of the bank as they went to the restroom to wash their hands, he said, look, you need to know what's happened. This man has stole butter. And he said, if he will steal two pats of butter, how could, be, how could he be trusted to handle other people's money? After their lunch, the president got the young man into his office and he said I'm sorry son but I can't hire you for this position he said it's a shame that you lost this job over two pats of butter you see the little things always matter to God in his economy character always counts in the calling and what you and I may brush under the rug and say that's not important it matters to God faithfulness matters to him My prayer life, your prayer life matters to Him. Your involvement in church matters to Him. How you use your money matters to Him. It all matters to God because He's my King and He's my Commander-in-Chief. So we got two stages of this shifting process that have now happened. And God has winnowed Gideon's army down to just 300 men. Now keep in mind at this point, Gideon is outnumbered 450 to 1. How many of you like those odds? Well, the Lord, notice, God has intentionally stacked the deck against Gideon so that he will be forced to depend on him alone. In other words, before God gave the victory, listen, he weakened his servant. He intentionally weakened the position of his servant. Why? Because God achieves his greatest victories when we are at our weakest When we are at our neediest, most relying upon Him, His grace, His power, His provision to come through when we don't have an answer and a prayer. I've told you about Hudson Taylor, the great pioneer missionary who went into China when everybody told him he was crazy. Back in the 1800s, he founded the China Inland Mission, one of the first Europeans to go into Uh, China and preached the gospel and he knew about the secret of strength through weakness he was complimented once by a man who noticed the impact of his great ministry there in China and Hudson Taylor the man always deflecting a humble man here's what he said when he received that praise he said quote it seemed to me that God looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work and when he at last found me he said he's weak enough He'll do. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His 
being with Him. The answer is not worldly strength. The answer is weakness because it is through weakness that God gives the strength and the victory. And when the victory is had, there is no questioning, no denying about who should receive the glory. This is why I'm not concerned necessarily about everything that others are concerned about in the church. We think that we need to help God out. We need more stage presence, as it were. We need more theatrics. We need more charismatic personalities. We need bigger budgets. We need marketing programs. We need this and that. The so-called church experts will tell you. And I say to them, weakness is what my God is attracted to. My God can take a broken man and a weak church, and through His power of His Spirit and His Word, He can do something mighty that man can't explain. I'm in for the anointing of God. I'm in to be on God's side. Hey, I don't look at the resources and say, I can't. I look at the size of my God and say, how can't we? He's a mighty and amazing God. And oftentimes before God will use us, listen, He'll weaken us. Oh, that's not a, that's not a popular message, Pastor, in 2021. Why don't you preach a little bit more prosperity? Because it's not biblical. Before God used Gideon, He weakened him. This is why, friend, I mean, people wonder, why is my life so hard? Why do I have so many problems? Why is it always difficult? Well, number one, that's because it's life on a sin-cursed earth. Did you think it was going to be easy? Did Jesus say it was going to be a bed of roses until you get to glory? No, He said, in this world, you will face tribulation. But fear not, I have overcome the world. You see, our hope's not in us. Our strength's not in the almighty dollar. My hope's definitely not in the White House or Wall Street or, or Hollywood celebrities or the cancel culture. My hope has got to be in God Almighty. And sometimes what God has to do to help us learn that lesson is He reduces our health. He takes a job away. He strips us of our pride. He takes away our strength so that we might see the power of His delivering hand in stark contrast to our desperate helplessness. I can do nothing apart from Christ. I need Him every day. You say, oh, uh, that Christianity is for weak people. You better believe it. I'm weak. I know my frame. I know how sin sick my heart is. I need God every day. Gideon needed Him too. And sometimes, listen to me, your strength may be more dangerous to you than your weaknesses. You know why? Because it's your strengths that keep you and I from fully trusting in God to make up the difference. So God gave Gideon victory through weakness. Then notice this, God gave Gideon victory, number two, through worship. He gave him victory through worship. Look what verse 9 says. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay there in the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number, and as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. 
And behold, a cake of barley tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream, its interpretation, watch this, he worshipped. Now, 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 notice with me. Three times already, God has given Gideon a promise. He's given him a sign of victory. It was first with fire from the rock, then it was the fleece, the wet fleece, and then the dry fleece. But the Lord knew Gideon's need and his dependency upon him. You see, Gideon had a tendency to doubt. I got to be in here like that <laughs> with me today. God, are you going to see me through this diagnosis? God, are you going to help me find a job? God, what about my children that are prodigal? God, are you going to help me break free of this sin? Lord, where's your answer? Anybody in here deal with doubt? Hello. Number one right here. But this time, the word of the Lord came from an unexpected witness. It came from the mouth of an enemy in the camp. God directed Gideon down to the camp of the Midians to scope it out. And as Gideon is eavesdropping there, he heard one Midianite soldier explaining his dream to his buddy, and the other guy interprets the dream so that as Gideon hears it, he actually hears a prophecy of the Lord coming from an enemy. Now, notice the, the dream. We'll, we'll study it a little bit more in depth. It said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and a cake of barley tumbled into the camp in Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. What a weird dream. Now, barley was the food of the poor. And often, in Bible times, this is what was fed to the livestock. It's a fitting symbol for the oppressed people of Israel. And for seven years, as I told you, Midian had seized Israel's valuable food supplies. They'd reduced... Israel down to a bunch of barley eaters, if you will. They were, they were left eating what was only fit for the goats, if you will. The livestock. And the Midianites, they were Bedouins. They were tent dwellers. So get this. The cake of barley represents Israel. The tent represents the Midianite camp. These people were nomads. And so the meaning of the dream is that tiny Israel, led by Gwimpy Gideon, is going to bolt into the camp, going to knock them flat, and they're going to win the day. What a strange picture. A little barley bun destroying a whole camp full of soldiers. A small, unlikely instrument wrecking disproportionate havoc on this mighty and strong army. And yet that is exactly what God was about to do through Gideon and his ragtag army. And Gideon learned, listen to me, that the safest place you can be is in God's will, even if that means you're in a wilderness, even if that means you're surrounded by the enemy. If God is with you, that's a majority of one, and he's never lost. Amen? The Bible says that God can prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. 
And Gideon feasted there on that prophetic word that came to him from the mouth of this old Midianite soldier. Friend, listen, as I read that, I was so encouraged this week in my study. How good is God to give Gideon a word of encouragement at just the right time when he needed it the most, when he ought to be quaking in his sandals about what he's getting ready to do. God said, Gideon, I got something that's going to really blow your hair back. Go down there to the camp and listen about what they're saying about you. You see, they don't have the other side of the story. They don't know uh, how God has uh, winnowed things down. They think that they're really in for it. And yet God gives Gideon a behind the scenes to see how he's working providentially and I'm telling you how good is my God to do that in my life how many times have you been down have you been out you've been pouting and you've been doubting you've been crying tears you're worried up late at night God how are you going to meet my need God how are you going to help me Lord when are you going to answer this prayer God have you abandoned me and all of a sudden in God's timing and in God's providence he will answer your prayer in such a way that you know it's him uh, he'll send somebody by to give you a word or a hug uh, You'll get a phone call or a text Or God will just open up the windows of heaven And pour down blessings upon you And you'll say, stop God I've got enough My little thimble can't take anymore How good is God to help Gideon out in this moment And if you've ever been there before You know he's an on-time God He's an encouraging God When you're fearful, when you're doubting uh, When you're questioning He'll pull you up by the bootstrap and say let me remind you who you are let me remind you how mighty I am what my word says it may come through a song it may come through a preacher it may come through a precious friend but God will send a reminder to you at the moment when you needed it most I'm telling you I've been so down sometimes I haven't known where the answer was going to come from I've been so discouraged sometime in ministry Lord it don't seem like you're moving Lord, I'm preaching my guts out. Nothing's happening. Oh, God, if you don't move, if you don't shake the hearts of people and shake them and move, God, I don't know if I can keep going. And all of a sudden, somebody will come down on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night and get saved. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will break out in our service and people will flood the altar. And God will remind me, hey, I've got your back, Brother Derek. I called you into this ministry. I'm not going to leave you abandoned by the side of the road. And God has reminded me many times. He's picked me up out of the dirt, wiped the tears off my face and said, you ain't lost yet because I get the last word. And you're mine. And I've never lost. I'm telling you about a good God today who will meet you in your need. And help give you the encouragement for the battle. Oh my goodness. Look what happened. Look what happened in verse 15. The Bible said, <laughs> I love this. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. <laughs> what else can you do in that moment when God comes through? Gideon hadn't even fought the battle yet. And he praises God as yet the victory has already been achieved. Isn't that a whole lot about what the Christian life is about? I ain't seen the gates of glory yet. 
I ain't seen the face of Jesus yet. I hadn't heard, well done and good, for, good and faithful servant. I hadn't got to walk down the streets of gold, hear the angels sing, or kneel before my Jesus. But I'm telling you, I worship as if the victory has already been had. Because I see God's faithfulness in my past. The time isn't the, the time to silence up and be quiet. The time is now to turn the praise dial up to 11 and let the world know there's a God that's worthy of worship. There's a God who will save anybody. There's a God who will pick people up out of the pit that they are in. There's a God who will help us win this battle that we are embroiled in. I'm telling you, Gideon doesn't even know exactly how God is going to get the victory. But he says in this moment, Lord, your goodness is over." Overwhelming to me and God for the first time in my life I trust you ain't that what worship is a lot about God my life is a wreck God I don't know where the paycheck's going to come from Lord I, I don't have any answers for my prodigal son or daughter Lord it feels like I'm outnumbered and I'm losing the battle Lord look at the, the hell that's breaking out in our culture God, where's your people? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Have you prayed these things recently? You feel like you're outnumbered? You feel like you're facing a median? Oh, but friend. <laughs> but here's what worship does. This is why the devil wants to keep people away from church. You come to church and you hear the clear word of God. You open up your heart. The worship begins to flow. The Spirit comes down. And in that moment of worship, you say, Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, I know it looks terrible by the eyes of the flesh. But through eyes of faith, my God is mighty. My God is on the throne. My God has got this battle. My God hasn't abrogated anything to the enemy. I'm not a loser. I'm not an underdog. I'm an achiever. I'm an overcomer through the power and the might of my God. And that's what worship is all about. You come here and you get fresh eyes to see having been in the world. And you're reminded again, hey, God is in control. God has a plan. God's word is sure. And what worship is, is all that I am responding to all that He is. Praising Him for all He has done. And looking forward to all that He is going to do. No, I ain't seen it yet. I ain't felt the victory yet. I ain't, I ain't seen the end yet. But I know my God is faithful. And I know that my God can provide the victory. You see, Gideon said, Lord, I trust you. And that's what we need in this moment and in this hour today. As you and I, the children of God, feel overwhelmed and overcome by a cancel culture. By a media that has a bigger microphone than we do. By, a, by, by schools and education systems that have gone completely sideways. And in my opinion, a lot of ways are poisoning the minds of young people. By a celebrity culture that has no answers. Where's our hope today? Our hope is in the worship of God. That God has a plan. God has a purpose. And that's what happened with Gideon. And I hasten to point number three today. God gave Gideon victory through weakness. He gave him victory through worship, and he'll do the same thing in your life. When you let go, and you hear, and you respond to God's Spirit. And then number three, God gave Gideon victory through his willingness. Through weakness, through worship, through willingness. Notice what happened, verse 
15 and 16 as we begin again. Arise, for the Lord has given the hosts of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into the three companies and put trumpets in the hands of all of them and empty jars and torches inside the jars. Notice that. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. And when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, and I, who all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the 300 who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Now stop right there. Imagine you're in Gideon's army. He gathers these 300 guys together. All right, fellas, you ready to charge the hill? You ready to take the camp? Well, yeah, Gideon, what are we going to do? Well, we don't have any spears. We don't have any swords. We don't even have a butter knife to fight with. How are we going to win this? So Gideon begins to tell the plan. He begins to distribute. Each man had a horn to blow, a jar to shatter, a torch to shine, and a voice to shout. How's that for an arsenal? This strategy is about as outlandish as the one God gave Joshua to take down Jericho. Just march around the city and blow your trumpets. How many of you know this? You've walked with God long enough to realize this. God's ways don't make sense until you have hindsight. And faith is trusting God in advance for what will only make sense in reverse. Once you get on the other side of it, you look at it and say, Oh, now I understand, God, why you asked me to do that. Sometimes, though, in order to be victorious, you have to be willing to look ridiculous. How ridiculous did Gideon and his men look at this moment going into battle with jars and torches and trumpets. But you know what? Faith is a willingness to obey God even if it looks foolish to the eyes of the world. The eyes of the world look upon little Liberty Baptist Church and they say, look at how stupid those people are. To sit and listen to the preaching of an ancient book, to worship a Jewish carpenter, to give their money, to put their faith in a God they can't see, to get together in a pandemic, the world looks. Let me. The world looks at the church and says, "You people are stupid." But you know what? Faith is trusting God despite what the world says. And the great responsibility for us is to understand that our part is obedience, and God's part is outcome. And Gideon was willing to do something that, on the surface, was insane and crazy. But yet, look at how God handled the outcome. He gives this surprise attack in the middle of the night. Verse 19, they blew the trumpets. They smashed the jars that were in their hands. Verse 20, and the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. And they held in their hands the torches and in their right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp. And all the army ran and they cried out and they fled Verse 22, and when they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade, against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah towards Zarek. That means they ran really far. Gary Enrig wrote this. He says, quote, To the half-sleeping Midianites, anything and everything that moved in the darkness became an enemy. Every shadow seemed to be an Israelite. In all the confusion, the camels which were feared cavalry of the Midianites stampeded in the chaos and the tumult, and the panicked Midianites began to slaughter one another. 
But Gideon's men did not move. They merely obeyed God and he gave them victory without firing a shot. Only my God can give victory when you don't have any resources. Only my God can meet the need when you ain't got a weapon in your arsenal. Only my God can meet the need when you're outnumbered, your back's against a wall, and you don't have no answers. Oh, these weapons, don't miss this. This is so cool. How unusual these weapons are. You know what this is to you and I? Trumpets, clay jars, and lamps. These ain't swords and spears. You see, this is a reminder to us that not only was the battle the Lord's, but it's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 to the church, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or not physical. The child of God doesn't wage war the same way that the world wages war. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, let me remind you, but against spiritual forces, principalities and powers in the high places. And there's more to this. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7, look at what Paul says. Paul makes an allusion to this very scene right here. He describes the Christian as a common jar. And inside the jar is the light of the gospel. Listen to what he says. Verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But he says, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God belongs not to us. Do you see how that connects to your life and my life? Like Gideon's clay jars, we are common vessels but we contain something of precious treasure. It's the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And Gideon turned the battle that day when they took those jars and they threw them on the ground. And as they were shattered, the light inside was revealed. And the way that the church sees victory today is when we take our clay pot lives, our little broken lives, and we surrender them to God. And through the breaking process of life, through the persecution, through the trial, through the situations that you and I face, we're broke down. But when we're broke down, what's revealed? The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is within me, that has transformed me. And when the jar is broken and the light is revealed, then the world sees where the true power comes from. My power comes not from me. It comes from the great Holy Spirit of God that dwells inside my carcass. And we are the jars. Christ is the light. The trumpet is our witness. Don't you see what the Lord of God is saying to us today? It's by the means of the power of the gospel that the church can achieve victory even though we're small, even though we're ugly in the eyes of the world, even though we're outnumbered. When you break the jar, the light comes out and then God gives the victory. Gideon fought by God's ways and God's ways aren't the world's ways. And when God does it, notice here, it was better than anything Gideon could have ever planned because not even a shot was fired. And I'm telling you, God can do that today in the church. God can do that today in a life as you surrender your life to Him, as we surrender this church to Him. Let God have His will and His way here. It's not about me. It's not about our, our, our deacon board, our Sunday school teachers, or anything about this church. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ shining in a broken place. 
And if God can receive glory through that here, then so be it. I'm just a clay jar with a little bit of light inside of me. But you know what? A little light in a dark place can bring a lot of revelation and a lot of confusion to a world that don't understand it. Corey Ten Boom wrote about this in her book, and I'm closing. She wrote in her book, Tramp for the Lord, about a woman that she met in Russia during the Cold War, which, by the way, if things don't change here in this country, we're going to be headed the way of Russia. In that day, Christians were under intense persecution. There was an old woman who suffered tremendously because of multiple sclerosis. Her body was twisted in every direction and she had virtually no mobility. She relied totally on her husband to take care of her. The index finger of her right hand was all that she could control, Corey Ten Boom said. But the old woman found a use for her one good finger. What can God do with a broken person? She moved it across a typewriter keyboard all day and all night, pecking one letter at a time. One sentence at a time, one paragraph at a time. You see what she was doing when she was tapping out the words and sentences as she translated the Bible into the Russian language. When Corey Ten Boom came to visit this lady, she looked upon a twisted skeletal frame of this broken woman and muttered softly, Lord, why don't you heal this woman? The husband overheard Corey's remark, and here's what he said. God has a purpose in her weakness. Every other Christian is watched closely by our secret police. But because she is so sick and been so sick for so long, no one ever looks in on her. They leave her alone. She's just a sick old woman. But they don't know she's the only person who can translate the Bible with one good finger. You see, what I'm telling you here today is that God gets victory through weakness. God gets victory through our worship and through our willingness to obey Him. And you know what? That sounds a whole lot like the gospel. Because the greatest man who ever lived made himself weak one day. Made himself susceptible even to death on a cross. The Son of God giving His life for you and me. And yet through His weakness and through His death on the cross, God gave victory to anybody who would believe and put faith in the name of Christ. You see, God gets victory through weakness. And that's the greatness of our God. That's the greatness of our Savior. And as our musicians are coming, does anybody need to respond to that message today? Would you say, Lord, I'm weak, but Lord, I'm willing. Maybe you need to surrender something in your life, or maybe you need to respond to the gospel. Maybe you are outnumbered and surrounded like Gideon, and you need prayer. You need encouragement today. Our altar is open for whatever the need of the hour might be. I'd love to pray with you, and I'd love for the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life, but you've got to come forward and make the first step. He'll meet you where you are. As Brother Preston leads us, will you stand? Thank you. Mm -hmm.